0: All right, I'd like to invite you to come back to your seats. We're going to get started. Please continue those conversations afterward. Um, it's a good thing, so continue those afterwards. I hate to break them up now. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And the text, I'm going to read the text we're going to look at today. It's going to be from the book of Luke, of uh, chapter 22. And uh, you can go there if you want to in your Bibles. Um, it'll be on the screens um, if, you need to, um, if you need a Bible. There are Bibles um, under every other seat. If you don't have one at home, please take one home. That's our gift for us to you. If you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you again to our church. We're really glad and honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. Let's look at Luke 22, verse 14 through 20. And we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Once again, it's the the center and the the driving um, force of everything we do on Sundays. your revelation to us and speaking to us and we still believe you speak to us today through your word so i pray i'm um, in the next 30 35 minutes to the end of the service lord that that you would speak to us that you would change our minds you would change our hearts you would change the way we live we live when we leave this place i pray that we would recognize that these are your words so just luke's words these aren't my words these are your words those words carry power they carry authority they carry the ability to change us change cities and change the world. so I pray that your spirit would do that uh, amongst us today it's in your son's name we pray amen so with this being Palm Sunday, Good Friday um, on Friday and then Easter next Sunday we thought it would be good today to look at some of the final hours of um, of Jesus's ministry in time before he was going to be arrested. So Jesus um, grabs his closest followers, his disciples, <laughs> and says he wants to have a meal with them. So he wants to have a meal. And th- at this meal, Jesus institutes or really creates communion or the Lord's Supper. And if you spend any time with us at Providence Road, you know communion is a big deal to us. We do it every week. We think it's really important. It's something that grounds us in the gospel. We use all of our five senses when we take communion. There's some mystery involved in communion. Um, There's there's a heightened spiritual awareness during communion. And it's interesting, in the modern time period, which we can go back 500 years-ish, there was a move away in our world from things like spirituality, like transcendence, like symbolism. There was a move away from that stuff. But in the last couple of decades, it seems like with the rise of some postmodern thinking, there's there's an attractiveness again. There's a move back towards these kinds of things, like symbolism and deeper meaning and, and mystery and these kinds of things. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room and you're here with us, when we get into communion and start talking about this, it may seem a little strange, and that's okay. It is a little strange when we do this. Um, but here's what I want you to think about it and really consider. Um, that you'll realize that there are, there are people all over the world, even this morning, observing communion. And it's this time where followers of Jesus come together and we can go a little deeper in our understanding of what, what has happened and, and who Jesus is and what he has done. And take some time and just a moment out of our week to deepen our faith. A time to remember and reflect on all he has done. We tend to all live in the shallower forms of life, just going through life. In communion, we take time to go a little deeper and to do deeper thinking and deeper work in what the gospel actually is. Another thing to consider, if that's you, is that there are, think about, there are very few ceremonies that have continued unbroken for nearly 2,000 years. Communion's been done on every continent. It's been done by... um, hundreds if not thousands of different people groups in different languages and all of that for 2,000 years has been celebrating and observing this one thing who Jesus is and what he did on our behalf and that's really fascinating that's interesting and so if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus uh, my prayer that would be that you stay with me and you understand just some of the beauty and the meaning and the hope that communion gives us But why do we do it? Okay, that's the the question we're going to answer today. Why do we do this as Christians? Why is this that? Like, I I started thinking this week, Jesus didn't have to institute communion here, or ever. He could have just said, hey, remember me by um, reading my word. Remember me by coming to worship together as a group. There was something about communion, about the bread and the cup that he instituted. And he said, This is something you need to do as a part of your rhythm of life. So why did he institute this? Why did he set this aside and tell us, hey, keep doing this until I return? We're going to look at that today. But before we jump in, I want to make sure that we don't get tripped up on any terminology. Because there's a lot of words that I'm sure you've heard for um, this observance, okay? So I tend to just refer to it as communion. um, So I'll probably do that for the rest of our time. But there are other things... Uh, that, this, uh, that, that communion is also named. So uh, put them on the screen. We don't have time to go through all of these um, in depth, and we could do a sermon over each of these. But um, here are five that are used either in the Bible or in the early traditions of the church. So first is, is communion. And this is the one that around here we use most often. Communion comes from the Greek word koinonia, which just means fellowship, coming together, community. And I think it's getting at this idea that when we take communion, we are communing We are fellowshipping with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that moment. But we also do this as a body of believers. So we also fellowship with the Trinity, but we also are fellowshipping with one another with that Spirit being the uniting factor. So that's why communion is used. To break bread. This is a term that's used a lot in the New Testament. And when this is used, they're talking about a meal, but they're really specifically talking about taking communion as a part of that meal. so when we hear breaking of bread, especially in the New Testament, we should assume that communion is, is happening. Thirds, Eucharist. The, the word this literally means th- to give thanks or thanksgiving. And we saw in that passage, we read Jesus gave thanks, and then he did it. So this is probably where that word comes from. But it's also just good to be thankful during communion. So there's nothing wrong with, in my opinion, using Eucharist. Different traditions use it in different ways. But if it just means, hey, we're giving thanks when we observe the Lord's Supper, that's an appropriate thing. Fourth is the agape feast, or or the love feast, which is what agape means. This is mentioned in the book of Jude, one time in the New Testament. And in the earliest... um, of manuscripts we have of what a worship service would have looked like in the early church, this thing called the agape feast comes up a lot. So most historians and scholars believe that they were actually referring to the Lord's Supper or communion when they were talking about this agape feast. And the last one, Lord's Supper, this is another one that we use <laughs> fairly often. And if you're kind of in the Baptist world, this is the one that is tend to use. And this is just um, the, the meal that Jesus had right here. It's referring back to this meal where Jesus pulls them aside, has a meal with them, but also has communion as a part of the meal, okay? So just so we don't get tripped up on terminology, that's, that's when you hear these things, they're all referring to the same thing, maybe taking a different angle, but they're all from the, a biblical tradition or at least um, an early church tradition. So let's jump into this text. Let's look at Luke 22 again, starting in verse 14. Jesus has this supper. When, he, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, these 12 guys, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So here's the stage. In, in chapter 21, Jesus has, has rolled out some heavy teaching. He's talked about the destruction of the temple. He's talked about his death. He's talked about um, the, uh, the, the wars and his suffering and his second coming and how the disciples should be ready. So we know how the, where this story's going. We know there's a climax about to happen. But even if we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, they're feeling that something's coming. They've, they've walked into Jerusalem. They know Jerusalem at this point. It's not safe for Jesus. But he, they walk into Jerusalem, and he starts talking and teaching about these things. And Jesus says, I want to have this meal with you. And this, this was the night before the Passover uh, uh, festival or celebration. Every year... Jewish people would come together and observe the Passover, okay? And so the night before the Passover, what would happen is that they would go sacrifice, Jewish, uh, uh, Jews would go sacrifice a lamb um, to remember when God brought um, them out of their ancestors, their people out of um, slavery in Egypt, which we, we read about in the Exodus. So they sacrifice a lamb, and then they eat that lamb for dinner the night before the Passover was to start. So this is all happening all around them in Jerusalem. So it wasn't, it wasn't strange for Jesus to call them to this meal. And the this, 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 this shedding of blood for the lamb was a sign of God's grace in the Old Testament. Okay, it's, 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 a, it's a grace-filled thing because how were the Israelites going to remain in right relationship to him? Well, the only way that they could at that point, the way God determined is, I'm going to lay out the sacrificial system, and this is how you're going to remain in right relationship with me. So it was an act of grace, but it was insufficient, right? Like they could have uh, done a sacrifice, walked away and turned around 10 minutes later if they were like you and I, because we're all sinners and go back and have to do another sacrifice. They could have done it every day and it's still not been sufficient. So this sacrificial system was insufficient. What they needed was a sacrifice that would take care of all their past sins, but also all their future sins and reconcile them to God once and for all with no other sacrifices needed. This is what they needed. And in the sacrificial system, it was the death of a lamb, though. It was the death of a lamb that would bring about God's reconciliation to them. So as his disciples are sitting down at this meal, there would have been this heightened awareness in them that they, the need for God's grace— They would have been prepared with the lamb. They get this. It's part of their tradition. And then let's look at verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying that this cup that is poured out for you, this is a new covenant in my blood. So traditionally, and the Bible seems to confirm this, that communion was usually taken as a part of a meal. It was usually partaken of during a meal. Now, we don't do this on Sunday mornings, primarily because of logistics, right? Like, we can't have a meal every Sunday, Okay, that's just logistically not possible. We do think this is important to do every Sunday, so we still do it. But probably the more appropriate thing would be to do it in your home. So missional communities, if y'all want to start kind of doing communion more, we we give you the freedom um, to do that. That's a good environment for communion to take place. So this traditional Jewish meal they're they're, they're taking here, Jesus begins to reinterpret it. Tradition says that there actually wasn't a lamb at this meal. So they would have all sat down and expected a lamb, because remember it's Passover. This is what you do on Passover, and there was no lamb. And then Jesus quickly, they would have think picked up on it, hopefully, that Jesus was the Lamb. Like John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like Jesus is sitting there amongst them and he's the Lamb. He takes the bread and and, and wine, which would have been prevalent at nearly every Jewish meal, and he reinterprets the bread. And the wine to point back to him as the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. So Jesus is reinterpreting um, the meal here. So this is the Jewish context for what's happening. But most of us in this room don't have that context. That we don't understand all this. We can't feel what the disciples were feeling. Well, this is, It's okay because Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, actually has a teaching on this for the church in Corinth. So we're going to go over to 1 Corinthians Um, chapter 11, verse 23. This is Paul. This this is a church full of some Jewish folks, but there was a lot of Gentiles and Greeks, people who didn't have this background. So he's now going to walk them through communion, which is going to be very beneficial for us. Okay, so let's read this. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Paul's going to tell us that there are some things that should be happening in us when we come and take communion. There should be things, some ha- things happening in our mind, deep in our heart and deep in our soul. We shouldn't just come to communion every week here. And um, just treat it as a quick little snack. And yeah, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. That's, That's not the way we should treat communion. It shouldn't become routine because there is a lot happening here spiritually. And Paul's going to show us these things. And these things actually fall into a nice past, present, future rhythm. So I think it's really easy for us to remember when we keep this in mind. So let's look at the past. So there's two phrases here. Do this in remembrance of me. So looking back, looking at the past. Okay, these are important. They're mentioned, This phrase is mentioned twice in these three verses. This is important. Paul's highlighting this. And what we have to ask is, what does remember mean? So this is one of the things we are to do during communion. What are, how do we remember? And I think there's different ways to remember. And I think two primary ways. There's one way to remember where we remember facts. And there's another way to remember that we, that we, we immerse ourselves back in, into the event. And to, to use this Um, To help illustrate this, I'm going to use a a story from our life. So um, about four years ago, um, my wife and I, we suffered a miscarriage. And so I'm going to go back and and kind of process the event with you guys. Um, It was May, four years ago. So I'm coming up on four years. And we uh, had found out that we were pregnant and had seen one ultrasound and a heartbeat. Our doctor was in Dallas. So one Monday, it was actually the Monday after Mother's Day. Um, we drove down to Dallas. where our doctor was. Went into the doctor's office, waited a few minutes, went into the, the room there. Um, doctor came in, gave Nicole and my wife an ultrasound, and we he couldn't find uh, a heartbeat on the ultrasound. And he looked at us and said, um, your, 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 baby, your baby's gone. He's not going to make it. We were sad. We got in our car, and we drove home end of story. Like that's one way to remember it. A lot of facts in there. I could have even given you more. Here's another way to remember it. Um, Sunday before that, or two weeks before this particular day, we had seen a heartbeat first time heartbeat on, on an old, on a, um, on an ultrasound and we were overjoyed ecstatic. And, um, two weeks later we have mother's day on Sunday. Um, Nicole, my wife, is celebrated because she's going to be a mother. Um, We've been trying to have kids for a long time. She's wanted to be a mother for a long time. So we get in the car on a a Monday morning. It's actually a pretty day. Drove down with this anticipation, excitement, a little nervousness. But we've already made it through one ultrasound. And the doctors, hey, things look good. We're going down for another ultrasound. Hope to see a little bit the, the, the baby forming in the womb and that heartbeat there. We go into the doctor's office, have to wait a little bit. The anticipation is kind of building. We move into the doctor's room, and we gather around the screen to look and to see what, how our baby's developing. And we look around, and the, the doctor pulls out the wand and begins to do the ultrasound on Nicole. A minute goes by. We can't see any flickering, just the heartbeat in the, the previous ultrasound. We don't see the flicker. Another minute goes by. He adjusts a little bit. We, you can look at his face and begin to see his countenance change. A couple more minutes go by. Puts the wand down. He looks at us with um, being choked up. He says, something happened. The baby didn't make it. And we were crushed. We were crushed. We wept. He left the room. We wept for, I, can't, I don't remember how long it was in the doctor's room. And then we had to figure out a way to to drive back from Dallas up here um, and, and start to tell people that our baby was gone and everybody was like, praying for us and excited for this event. Now that's the same story I just told you, but I remembered it differently. I took, I mean, I, I didn't go any further because I would have been a weeping mess up here. Um, I could have gone further in remembering, but I didn't. But you feel the difference between the two kinds of remembering. So when we come to the Lord's table, we come and we remember the the moment in time, if we can, when God saved us. We remember what it was like to be the person we were before and when we were changed. We remember what it was like to be a sinner running from God, in rebellion to God, and God's grace chasing us down. We go back to what it was like to be brought back into a right relationship with him. We remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We remember what it was like when the spirit, we felt the spirit for the first time inside of us. We're like, yes, I remember how that felt. I remember God's grace. I remember that. And we remember when he that knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God, and no longer be called orphans, but stand before God, fully forgiven and welcomed into the family of God as children with faces and names and a heavenly father who's going to take care of us. That's what we remember when he says, "Redo do this in remembrance of me. It's not just facts. It's not just, hey, Christ died for me and I'm forgiven and I'm not, I'm going to heaven now. It is so much more, than that. So that's the past aspect. Let's look at the next verse. Here's the present aspect. Verse 26. Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when he comes. And what does this mean, proclaim the Lord's death? Well, it has two meanings. The first meaning is straightforward. It's you're, you're, we're acting something out when we do this. We're, with, our, with what we're doing, with how we are observing this, we're communicating, just by p- people are watching this, that um, who Jesus is and what he has done. We're proclaiming the good news. There's another sense that this is happening. That's kind of the external proclamation. There's also an internal proclamation going on here when it says, proclaim his death. We're actually taking the elements and putting them in our body. And we're saying that we're, un- we're united to Jesus in his death. We have felt the death inside of us. Our old self is gone. The new self has come. We've died to our own des- old desires. We've died to our old self. And we are united to Jesus in his death that's when it says proclaim his death. There's an outward proclamation and then there's an inward proclamation that we're actually telling ourselves and reminding ourselves of his death that has been worked in us. Listen to Matthew sixteen twenty four. I think this is another place in the gospels, but this is exactly, I think, what Jesus is talking about here to remember. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So when we come to communion, what we are saying here is, I, am, I have died to my sin and I'm efforting, I'm trying to continue to die to my sin. Through faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are fighting for sin, fighting for joy, fighting to look more like Jesus. This isn't a passive thing. Proclaiming is an active thing. We're actively saying this. This doesn't mean perfection. This doesn't mean we're perfect to come to the table. No, it just means that we're not taking a flippant view of our sin. We know what it cost him, and we are counting that cost, and we are saying, yeah, I'm struggling, but I'm fighting. I'm fighting, and I'm going to come to the table and to proclaim that death in me, saying I am still fighting to overcome my sin. And we're all doing this when we come to the Lord's table we're all doing this. And if you read further down in 1 Corinthians, we're not going to get there today, but he talks about um, taking the the Lord's Supper communion in an unworthy manner. And what he's saying here is is that we shouldn't approach the table in a flippant view. We shouldn't see this as just another thing, kind of another thing we just do and then leave. And we also shouldn't come to the Lord's table like saying, I'm dying to sin, I'm proclaiming death inside of me, but then well, outside of these walls, we have a very haphazard view of our sin. Okay, we should, we should, we should be. This, there's a sobriety. There's something. There's a. There's a little bit of. A, there's a heaviness in this part of the Lord's Supper when we we examine ourselves, and we think about our and we we evaluate our life when we do that. This is another reason why this unworthy manner thing that Paul says. This is another reason why every week here we think the Bible um, affirms this that we we that followers people who are not followers of Jesus, unbelievers shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because it's just, it wouldn't be congruent with the story. Like if that's not your story, if God hasn't redeemed you and saved you, you can't take the elements and proclaim death inside of you when that hasn't really happened. So that's another reason why we say every time at the end, hey, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, just kind of remain where you're at and think and pray and ponder what we've talked about because of this it is something that people who've experienced redemption can only do. And then we have the future aspect, the final. And this is where it takes a turn. And I think every week when we take communion, we should take a turn here from kind of looking inward and really thinking and dwelling and reflecting to outward. and to really thinking about the future hope that Jesus promises us in communion. Listen to Let's go back to Luke 22, these two verses here. Jesus says, "'For I tell you, I will not eat it "'until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God.'" Verse 18, "'For I tell you that from now on "'I will not drink of the fruit of the vine "'until the kingdom of God comes.'" So what Jesus is saying here is like, "'I'm not going to do this again. "'I'm telling you guys to continue to do this "'because I'm leaving you in person "'the way he was then. "'I'm leaving you, and, um, "'but I'm going to take this one day again "'when the kingdom of God comes.'" And what he is saying here is he's, he's calling their attention to the day when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom here on earth. And the Bible has an event that it describes, talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb, that those who have professed faith in Jesus, who, who are followers of Jesus, whenever he returns, we're going to get to eat with him and see him face to face and commune with him and fellowship with him. And it's not going to be a little piece of bread and a little sip of wine or juice. It's going to be a feast. It's going to be a banquet. It's going to be a party when all sin is gone, all struggle is gone, all pain is gone, all cancer is gone, all disease is gone, all um, babies dying are gone. All of those things are gone, and Jesus is reigning on earth. And so when we come to communion, This is why Jesus, I think, says this to his disciples, that he wants there to be an anticipation and a longing for what's going to happen in the future. So communion is not also just in the past and in the present. He wants to call our attention to the day he returns to set up his kingdom. He's calling us there. He wants our minds to go there when we come down and remember that and remember the feast that's awaiting us one day that will happen for those of us who are in Christ. And that is good news. And that's why when communion is done, when it is over, you've had your time to reflect and think and you stand up and come to take the elements. It should be um, posture up, being confident, assured of your, uh, of your salvation, and longing and looking forward to when Jesus returns, when it's not just a little piece of bread, but it's you get to eat the whole loaf of King's Hawaiian bread. And more, obviously. But um, so just, you, you get all of that. So this is a part of communion that we often forget, okay? We will spend um, a meal with him in the future with all the brothers and sisters who've ever lived, and Jesus himself in the flesh as a king. And we will have food upon food upon food, as at least that's what I imagine. Like unlimited food and not just a taste of food, and then you have to go home and be hungry for lunch. Now, here's the deal. We think that's, that, that, that communion is symbolic, okay? It's symbolic. But we also think that there's something spiritual happening when we take communion. Now, other traditions, we don't believe that um, the, the body and bread actually become Jesus and we're actually feeding on him. We, we don't believe that. And we don't believe that somehow that the spirit's kind of hovering around these elements right now. We don't believe that either. Okay. We, but we do believe that it's more than just a symbol. Okay. There's something that the spirit is doing when we take communion. So I want to end with kind of getting under that a little bit. And I think here's, here's what this means. We can come into a a church service and hear a sermon. Let's just say it's on forgiveness. You hear some great insights, hear the truth. You begin to understand, oh, I need to go forgive this person because I'm harboring bitterness against them. And you make a determination in Sunday morning when you're sit- sitting in your chair that I'm going to forgive them. Then Monday comes around, it's kind of faded. And Tuesday comes around and it's either you've forgotten it or you just don't have a strong enough desire anymore or want to, to do it. And so you don't do it. And the next day, Sunday comes around, maybe you hear another thing and you get it and you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then... You end up not doing it during the week. I know you don't forget sermons here. That doesn't happen here in this church. But hypothetically, if you forgot our sermons, um, then you you, you may do that. And so there's something going on here. There's something that's not leading to the change in our life that we want. The problem is just thinking about something or understanding something is not enough to change. It's definitely a part of change, but it's insufficient to change us. There's something deeper at work here, and that's at the area of our of our desires, our wants, our loves. There's something deeper down than our knowledge that is causing us not to want to do those things. Have you ever had the thought, I just wish I could get this from my head to my heart? Like, I, I understand that this thing, this way of living would lead to freedom and joy and flourishing long term as God created, but... At the moment, I just don't want to do it enough to put it in place or to stop doing that or to start doing this. What's happening there is that our desires aren't trained. Our desires aren't in the place that can actually fuel us and get us to change our behavior. So how does this happen? Well, I think this happens by us putting in practices and habits in our day-to-day normal life um, some church traditions will call this liturgies, some, some liturgies in our lives, some rhythms that will train our hearts to be pointed in the direction of Jesus and God in his glory. For example, when we spend time with God in, in, alone in the Word, we don't we do this to gain some knowledge of God, but we also do it to train our heart to taste God and begin to want the things that He wants. When we pray, we don't just pray to check a box. We pray because when we pray and we commune with the God of the universe, we begin to want what he wants. We begin to desire what he wants. We begin to see how beautiful he is and the things of the world begin to fade away in their beauty. When we give sacrificially with our time, with our money, With our gifts, and when we sacrifice those things, we become um, a little bit looser with the stuff that God's given us. That the effect that the culture and the world has on us, it loses its power, and God and His Spirit and His Kingdom gain some power when we sacrificially give up these things. Communion fits in the same category. When we take communion and we remember and we proclaim His death, something is happening in us—a deep, deep place with our desires with our wants, with our loves. And so when you come in here week after week and you do communion and you start stacking those observances on top of one another and you look back on six months, a year, three years, five years, you will begin to be changed. Your loves, your wants. If you're doing it the way that Paul's laid out here to remembering and proclaiming the death and that combined with Understanding the word and, and the preaching of the word and, and, and all those things that we do that we kind of think about put those two things together that 's how you're formed into the image of Jesus so with any of these things that's why with like, we want it to be a habit here we want it to be a practice that we do regularly because we know the spirit is working through that that practice and it goes way beyond what's happening here on Sunday morning. We do it week after week after week and we're changed Listen to this quote This kind of sums it up well by David Fitch in his book. The Lord's table is about presence. Surely it is about eating, but ultimately it's a discipline that shapes a group of people to be present to God's presence in Christ around the table. The table just meaning uh, coming to the table. Here we have perhaps the single best opportunity to train ourselves to tend to his presence for our lives. If we can recognize his presence at work around the table, we will be able to recognize his work in our lives as well. Without such a discipline, however, we all will always be tempted to take God's work in our own hands instead of recognizing his work, submitting to it, and participating in it. This table, or the elements here, trains us to discern Christ's presence in all the other places we eat during the week. I would say all the other places we just live during the week. So communion is symbolic, but the Spirit is doing something in his people as individuals and as a body when we do it here at the church. So this is what we're going to do now. We're going to take communion after hearing this, and, and I want us to think about these things while we do this. See the bread here. And Jesus, um, there was a reason why he chose bread, I think, to be the, the thing that he wanted to communicate with, is because bread had a special place in the life of the, of the Jews, of God's people, right? So, like, even back to the, the wandering in the wilderness and the manna, bread was a symbol of God's provision for his people. So, when the Jewish people thought of provision, they thought of bread fairly often because that was how it was taught to them. And so Jesus takes that meaning of provision and he, he says, yes, it is provision, but here's the kind of provision it provides. It's my body being broken for you, torn apart, tortured, suffered for you. To make provision for you to be reconciled back to God. To make provision for you to be the source of your joy and your freedom and your hope and your love. Not the things that the world will try to offer us, but I'm the source of those things. I want to be that, have that place in your life. Just like God's people wanted the manna, they were desperate for the manna in the wilderness when there was nothing in the desert to eat and God provided, that same hungering and groaning should be in us. We should feel the need for God's provision to save us. That, we, that he suffered so we, we don't have to suffer. We don't have to be alienated from God. He was alienated from the Father so we wouldn't be alienated from the Father. So when we see the broken bread, when we tear that off and give it to you, be reminded this is Jesus' body being torn, being broken, providing provision for his people. And then he took the cup. I said earlier that the way to tone for sin in God's economy of the Bible was for there to be death. Death was the payment for sin always in the Bible. The death including shedding of blood. So Jesus takes a wine, it's red, looks like blood, has the same consistency, it's liquid. He takes and he says, This is going to represent my blood. If you remember, even back in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve's sin, God provided for them covering animal skins. How did those animal skins get there? Well, animals had to be killed. So even in Genesis 3, there needed to be the shedding of blood, death, to cover Adam and Eve. And so oftentimes we, like Adam and Eve, had these fig leaves. Before he gave them the animal skin See, they had fig leaves that they'd pulled off of trees themselves to try to cover themselves and it just doesn't work right like trying to cover your nakedness with leaves just not going to work and how often do we try to cover our nakedness try to cover our shame try to cover our inadequacies our guilt our anxiety our worry our fear with stuff that's just not going to work they're all fig leaves and what jesus is saying here is i'm the ultimate sacrifice Instead of an animal being killed like you've always known it, it's going to be me. I am the lamb. My blood will be shed, and that blood will cover all of your sin. Past, present, future, till I return, will be covered by my blood. If you have faith in me. And these men around the table were followers of Jesus. They believed in him. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take some time like we always do to think. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about remembering, proclaiming his death and when you get up, you, you imagine the, the feast that awaits you one day as a follower of Jesus. And think about the elements and what they're actually, when, you, when, you, when we put them in your hand and you taste them, like this is what the disciples would have experienced. And Jesus says, do this until I return. So we're going to do it. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I I pray that you maybe have heard something today about God's grace, but you're not needing to to do anything to become a follower of Jesus, just believing and trusting that he's done it all on your behalf to unite you to God so you don't have to spend this life or eternity apart from him. And if you believe that his grace is for you, he's offered that for you, and you believe that, then you can take communion as well. I want you to come forward or head to the back and take communion. Like I mentioned earlier, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and and you're just not there yet, you just don't believe and you don't have faith that Jesus died for your sin and saved you. If you don't have that, then we just ask that you would stay where you're seated. But I would encourage you to think and process and look at these elements that we're about to take and um, what is your provision what is covering your shame guilt anxiety and fear because we all have that junk even now you followers we have that junk we wrestle with that junk but we have some place to go the blood with that junk where do you go for that stuff what do you turn to that helps you in those in those times but if you're here and you're just like, uh, I, 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 I'm not there, I, I, it's okay. We want this to be a safe place for you to come, wrestle, doubt. But I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to take you out to lunch or grab a coffee or something just to process this and talk more about this because this is so important. It's, it's, it's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And if you're here and you became, you feel like you became a follower of Jesus today and you, you profess faith and you say, I believe, one thing we have to do is we have to articulate that. We have to profess it. We have to say, I believe. So tell somebody, tell me if you're here and you decided to to put your faith in who Jesus is and what he has did today. So take a few minutes. If you're a guest with us, you just get in line and we're gonna hand you a piece of bread and you can dip it in the juice. Um, There's two tables in the back, two tables up front. Take a few minutes and then come forward or head to the back.